If you're an entrepreneur, then the work you do is sacred. And this podcast is here to help you create more money, more freedom, and more impact as you do it. Welcome to Sacred Work, the go-to podcast for women in business ready to learn about sacred selling, sales funnels, and online business strategy. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and let's dive into a brand new episode. Hi, welcome back to Sacred Work. My name is Taylor Ray, and today I'm actually sitting down with one of my beautiful clients. I feel very honored to welcome the incredible Melissa Robbins to the podcast, who is the founder of The Lot Co. Melissa has over 25 years of experience as a retailer, brand owner, and mentor. With experience in all areas of the industry, she works as a business coach with retailers, wholesalers, fashion labels, and brands on strategies to help increase their sales, market their business, and build a strong foundation. She offers strategies, tips, and business advice for those in the creative industry, and that's exactly what she does in this interview. I had so much fun interviewing Mel for this episode because as one of my clients, I know the ins and outs of her business. That's what we've been working on is the behind the scenes, the strategy, the funnels, the amplification of her reach and who she's serving and how she's serving and streamlining her business for scalability and growth. And that's my forte. That's the thing that I'm good at. But what she's good at is really helping product-based businesses to absolutely flourish, whether they are just getting started or whether they are very advanced within their own businesses. She is absolutely incredible. And the product world is one that I don't know that much about. It was so fun for our roles to reverse where I got to pick her brain and ask all of the questions when it comes to starting and scaling a product-based business. We really dived in on so many incredible topics and Mel just did not hold anything back. She literally gave away like step-by-step instructions for what you can do to bring a product to life. So there are so many incredible nuggets inside of this episode, and I'm super excited for you to listen. So as you do, make sure that you do tag us over on Instagram. We love to hear your favorite parts and biggest takeaways. You can find Mel at The Lot Co, and you can find myself at This Is Tayray. Okay, let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode. Super excited to be sitting down with a special guest today, someone I'm blessed enough to have called a client. It's been a beautiful journey together and working within her business and seeing all of the growth and the steps that she's taken and the way in which she shows up and that serves her clients in really just facilitating incredible sacred work. Perfect fit for the podcast. I am so excited to be welcoming the beautiful Melissa Robbins. Welcome. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Taylor. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be good. Okay, let's dive in. I obviously know the ins and outs of you, your story, your business, but those that listening probably don't yet, give us a little bit of background. Tell us what it is that you do and how you got to this point. What I do now is I work with lots of product-based businesses. So I did sort of find that I called myself a business coach, but then really wanted to make sure that it was clear that I did work with product-based businesses. So, and that comes from my background. So I started out many years ago in a completely different field as often we do. So I was a school teacher, a high school maths and science teacher, but always had a passion for design and creativity and fashion. And my sister was starting her own fashion brand. So that was something that I got involved in. I went and did a bit more study and then I joined her. So 
we had a fashion brand, a children's fashion brand for 15 years. And within that time, we also had a retail store. So it's sort of the journey that I took. Having had done that, I then had sold my retail store, sold my brand and started working for someone else. And I started also teaching and as a lecturer in fashion business. So it's the combination of my two prior backgrounds of teaching and education and then also moving into fashion. So it was perfect, actually. I really loved that. I loved getting back into the education space and working with everyone, working with different people. See now students that I had back well, probably 10 years ago now and their brands and where they've gone. It's so good to see. Yeah. So then I, when I worked for someone else, I just ended up always coaching essentially with other people or other stores that I would meet with when I was doing selling And it just sort of progressed from there that I would end up spending more of my appointments working with people on how to grow their business or how to manage their marketing. And it just progressed from there that I started to end up working for myself again because I've always had that passion and I just don't know how often I could have worked for someone else. So it just led to that again now that now I work with lots of different brands again and coaching and helping them grow their product-based business. So whether it's a retail store or a product or a brand, I just love the different stages of everyone's journey as well. Like you might be a startup or they might be a, have been going for 15 years or 25 years. I've got one of my clients, but you can always learn something new. Mm, No two days are the same. Definitely. Love that. Oh, this is so good. I want to throw back. So there's two transition periods for you. There's the transition when you went from the teaching side of things into that first, you know, your own business, the children's fashion line, the retail store. What was that like? I think even for people listening who might be, you know, they've got big, beautiful dreams of products that they want to be bringing to life, but they might be in that nine to five capacity right now. And maybe taking that leap feels a little bit scary. What was that like for you? How did you make that jump? It was pretty scary. I've never had anything like this before. I actually had a panic attack on the way to my, the end of my job as a teacher and I was chilled out and I was all calm and no stress at all because I was, had, you know, had finished my job, but I think it would have this little like nervous energy of like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Anyway, it was a very one-off. I've never actually had one again, but anyway, that was something that was really happened at that time. So I obviously was feeling a bit anxious about that transition. But what I did was I finished my work as a school teacher and I started doing a TAFE degree of fashion and production and how to basically run a fashion label. So it's sort of that early starting point of no fashion business education. And that was back when I lived in Queensland, actually. Mm. So I wanted to go and work with my sister, but I thought I need to have a little bit of some sort of knowledge behind me or background. So that's where I just did that one year of study just to sort of have a little bit of a skill set, whether to, you know, how to how to create spec sheets for the designs that we were coming up with or what all the terminology meant or how to market the business, all those sort of things. So I sort of did that little bit of education and then I felt a lot more confident in joining her to start the brand as well. So yeah, it sort of just let started with me going, well, I'll just educate myself a little bit more in that space and then I'll step into it. Mm, Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like that's something that you would still recommend or do you think times are different now? I think times are different now because there's so much more available to people. Like that was 20 years ago. So it was at that stage where you probably had to go to education sort of area to learn new things. There wasn't the YouTube of today or the, obviously the internet was around. It wasn't that old, that long ago, but <laughs> you know, there wasn't the amount of information out there now or the online space of people teaching. 
Yeah. So there just wasn't that available. And so I think now there's a lot more that people can pick up themselves or do short courses or do things like that. It doesn't have to be a formal education. Mm, Definitely. The landscape has changed so much over the last 20 years and the accessibility we have to things like online courses, coaches, mentors, like people who have, like you, who have gone through that exact process and are like, yeah, you also have the formal training and things as well, which probably weighs in, especially in the beginning for you, but it's probably more the journey since then and the experience that you can be like, okay, I'm going to impart all of this wisdom and show you all the things that I did wrong so you don't have to do that. Like it's much exactly. more real world, I guess, than probably back then when you're sort of learning all the theory and some applies and some doesn't and you sort of take it and then mix it in with your experience as you go. So yeah, that's so cool. I love that. And then also, you know, that next transition period where then going back in, your sell actually no, like the selling side of things. Let's talk about that. I think that's interesting too. Like, and I know we'll come back because I want to go a little bit more into the basic steps of getting started and things. But yeah. even what was that like for you then selling a successful business? Wow. Okay. So that was, I mean, there was a, quite a few transitions within that time period as well. So when I first started with my sister, I didn't have any kids, you know, went into a children's and babies clothing brand, but I did not have any children at all, which was fine because as I had kids, that was a great period for me to actually flexibility of work and stuff like that as well. And I worked with my sister, which was amazing. So I had that transition. Then we had a retail store. Then it worked out that it was better off for her to, she had older kids. So she went and worked for someone else and I stayed in the retail business. So I had that for five years by myself. So in that transition period, I just sort of got to the point where it was a lot for me to do by myself and I'd been doing it for 15 years. So I thought I just need to change now. And one of my friends had been doing the lecturing, fashion business lecturing. And so I got into that. And so that was sort of the whole transition. Um, And part of that, I met someone, then I got offered a job as a sales agent. And it was that perfect timing of I had some staff in my store who were keen to buy the store, buy the brand. And then, so that was, it worked out perfectly that they were really keen. I thought this is a great time for me to actually transition to that next stage. So I sold the business to them, went and worked in, I had about a month where I had two young kids. I had a job that I was lecturing at night. I had a new job that I'd started and I was handing over the retail stores. <laughs> it was like an epic, an epic six, wow. eight weeks where I was just, it was just crazy. Anyway, one of the things that the girls who bought the store from me said, like, how did you as one person do all of the things that need to be done? Yeah. And I think, you know, that sort of played into that next stage of when I worked with other people, I also met lots of different brands and retail stores. And so I would help them in that area and go, well, this is what's the things you can do to work on the business. And I think that was a big factor that the education I was doing again in the teaching helped me apply lots of things to my own business, which therefore then I could help other people do as well. So it was that transition of selling the retail store, working for someone else, but then also continuing to work with people. I just, I can't help myself coaching people. It's like a natural calling. It's just it's oh, kind of always I have there. said before somewhere on my um, Instagram, I'm sure, like I used to be a swimming teacher. Mm. I used to be a movement teacher for like gym instructor. Like it's like there's been transitions of all these things in place over a lifetime. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they all gel together and it all yeah. sort of comes together and different elements of your journey in terms of how you then show up 
and coach in the space that you do now. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. It's funny when you look back on your journey and all the little pieces and you're like, God, I never would have thought, but it all actually adds up to the way in which I'm showing up at the moment. It does. It really does. So yeah, it was good timing for me to move on. My kids are a bit older and I love the retail store. I loved what we created, but it was just, it was just time for someone else to, to take over. So it was, it was good. Perfect. No, I love that. All works out as well as it's always meant to, you know, it's all, it's all happening for you and it's all yeah. part of a perfect path. Love that. Okay, cool. For someone who is listening, like I said, and they might be very intrigued, they've got this amazing idea, it's product-based, not that I have any product businesses or anything like that, but, you know, obviously sort of being in the space and I've I've listened to a few things. I think I I have like a bit of an idea at this point, but I remember when I first, even just getting into the business world, it was kind of like the idea of a product felt like what do you mean? Like, how do you bring something to life? Like, service is different. You're providing a service. It's extension of you. There's no, like, there's overheads, but not so much so in terms of, like, actually physically bringing something to life. So, I remember just even when I've had different ideas and things in the past, just being like, just don't know how that would happen, like, how that would actually come to life. So, for someone who's at that point and maybe has no idea or they're wanting to get started, but can you give us, like, a little bit of a walkthrough or, like, an overarching roadmap, something like that, that sort of just helps people to understand those initial steps? Absolutely. I think... Most people who start a product business that I've seen, that I know of, you know, they've, they've either see a problem in the market and then or a gap in the market. They want to try and fix that or solve that or they want to, they've tried to find something and they couldn't find it. So then that's sort of often how it comes about. So on that, I would say to people, if that is your idea or if that is, you know, where you're coming from, just make sure you do lots of research beforehand to one, make sure that people actually want that product or they actually there is that gap or need for it. And that comes with whether it's Google searches, you can look up what people are looking for or the volume of searches for things. You can look up on Amazon like what data or what sort of things are selling as well so you can sort of get an idea of that. And then, yeah, really just see what else is out there. So that, I think that is a gap sometimes that people don't do that. So making sure that they research and see what else is out there how can you do things differently and that would be a big factor of you have to have something about your product or your brand or your range that is different because obviously there's enough room for everyone I would say to probably say that like don't worry about if there's other things in the market that are the same as you but how are you going to do it differently so obviously I always refer back to something like denim it's not like there's enough denim in the world but it doesn't mean that you can't create your own denim line if you've got something different about it or if there's something unique about it like there is always a need for something new but it's how you do it differently that is really important Mm. yeah research what else is out there and then also research you know and figure out what is different about your product and how you're going to stand out and what your unique selling point is Mm, cool so making sure that there's like a differentiator in the market and that there's something that you're bringing to life that meets a need or just brings something that's currently missing at the moment, even if it's like an iteration of something that's already there. Once you've done that research side of things and, you know, you you know that what you've got is a viable idea and you've got a really good feeling and it's, you know, I can see where my unique selling position is, what next? This can take a lot of time, this next stage too. So, you know, I've got clients who bring things to market and they do think sometimes it might be, you know, like I want to create this product or this design and they want to do it quickly. 
which may happen, depends on what your product is, depends on how quickly you can turn things around or where they're coming from, depends on how quickly you can do that. But other than that, it does take time to get things right. Like I've got clients bringing product to market now and I've worked with them for a year before they've even actually have a product that they physically can take a photo of. So it does take time to get it right and it's worth taking time to get it right before you actually launch too. So Definitely make sure that you take the time to, whether you're getting different samples, you're getting different manufacturers, it's definitely worth not going with the first manufacturer that you find, doing research on how you can get the best price that you can get, being very specific about what you want, whether, you know, the product I'm thinking of who is it is to market now so I can talk about it but it was a so it was a teddy sorry a soft toy that has a ring light in the stomach to help with breathing so it helps kids with moderating their breathing so that took her a long time to get right because first of all she had to get all the textures of the soft toy right it's great for kids who may be autistic or things like that too so it really had to be just right, had the right body length, the right weight, the way that the electronics went together in the product. Like it took her a lot, two years probably Mm. to get that right. So definitely make sure that you get lots of different product samples so that you're getting the right product before it comes out. You're trying to lean in a few different manufacturers. So you're not just going with the first one. And so also then you make sure you get the right price for your product too, Mm. because that's another factor. You've got to make sure that your price is right for the market. Mm. And I think that's one of that next step that people get stuck on. They often I hear people say, I want to bring something to market that's affordable for everyone because I couldn't find that. And that's okay. That's great if that's what you want to do. But sometimes the price is what the price is, is because otherwise people aren't going to make money by doing that. Yeah. So the reason that these products are what they are in the market is because of all the different people's hands that maybe they touch in between, you know, the middlemen or whatever it might be. But unless you can actually make a profit margin on that product, then you shouldn't be selling it anyway because otherwise you're almost just giving away your time and money. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think that is really valuable because, as you said, so many people would be like frustrated around the price point, but then getting in and realizing like, oh, actually, that's why it's that price. That's because there's that so price. much that goes into it yeah. that we probably don't think about necessarily at the consumer end. Yeah. Right now it's at the peak of shipping costs that, It's never been seen before in terms of COVID and shipping issues with China and stuff like that. But And so that is a big factor in the pricing too. So some people think, oh, well, it's, you know, I've got the price that's $4 from my manufacturer, but then actually when they add everything up that sort of gets it and then to actually land it at their door to actually have it ready to sell, it's going to cost, you know, $12 or whatever Mm. it might be. So making sure your costs uh, you've accounted for all the different factors that go into the cost of the good. Yes, so important. And, you know, you mentioned there as well, the manufacturer side, the design side, the supply side. Where would someone go in terms of helping to get the design element and sort of going backwards and forwards on that? And then the manufacturer side, is that, you mentioned China, like is that where you would recommend someone should go first in order to get that prototype in place? It really depends on what the product is. So, Different regions have different specialties, essentially. So China might be great for fashion or it might be that you, India or Indonesia, might be good for your product as well. So, And then, say, ceramics or different things like that might be better off in Vietnam. Jewellery might be in Vietnam. So every product has a different area, has a different specialty, essentially. India is great with linens and cottons and things like that, whereas if you want complicated design or 
elements that are a little bit more different parts to them and stuff like that, then China might be the best way to go because they've got all the different componentry ticked off better and they're better at printing than they are in India or something like that. First of all, just researching what your product is, just looking at what the best markets are for it. Mm. And that's just really researching or asking people or talking to people. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of an open book really. And definitely talking to people and asking people is a good start. People are very protective of their manufacturers though. It's very hard to get word of mouth manufacturers because they people don't want to give away who their manufacturer is. It's a very secretive. Keep your cards closed that way. Because people are like, no, I've got this good one. I don't want anyone else to have them. But definitely you might even go and, you know, now that you can travel, you might go over there. You might, there's Mm -hmm. agents that you can use. So the agents that you can use that will take you around to different factories and introduce you to different people or there's things like Saucy is one example that, I don't know, some people have used that, that they go and source different manufacturers for you. You can use Alibaba and stuff like that. They can be good. Yeah, definitely talking to people in the industry, asking other people, doing your own research. But definitely there's lots of different manufacturers and remembering that they work for you too. So a lot of people get stuck on, oh, I found this factory and they're great. I'm just going to stick with them. That's good, but then they work for you. So you've got to make sure that they're giving you the best deals. They're working with you. They're trying to help you. They're Often, you know, they might start off with one price, but then you've got to make sure that if you your volume increases because you start wholesaling, for example, then you want to make sure that they're giving you a better price as your volume goes up as well. Mm. So working with your manufacturers that way too. And then even there's just about to come up, I think it's in the next month. It's, it's in Melbourne regularly, I know, and maybe Sydney too, but they have sourcing fairs. So they'll have India and China sourcing fairs. So you can go and meet manufacturers in Melbourne. So That's stuff like that great. That you can do too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Love that. Yeah. So you mentioned sources, you mentioned Alibaba. Are there any other sort of like online hubs that sort of bring together? They're the, they're the sort of main ones. Definitely Alibaba is a big one, but then I think just Googling yourself or really trying to find, like I worked with a client a few years ago now, we're trying to find a towel manufacturer. And, you know, we just ended up finding one that Turkey was the best towel manufacturer because mm-hmm. it's just where, and, and even just looking at the products that you have in your own home type of thing, like you know, looking at the made in Turkey, every wow. cotton towel that you come across, it's good. You're like, oh, okay, that's made in Turkey or India. Okay. Well, they're the two places that if I want to create towels or toweling products, they're that I need to go to. Clever. That's really smart. Look at what's actually under your nose or maybe not even in your house. Like go to the shops <laughs> and like go have a look at the really high quality yeah. towels and things like that and see. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. Okay, cool. And when it comes to the manufacturers, is there some maybe three things that make for a good manufacturer? Like what are some of the things that you should be looking for? Good communication, essential. So really making sure that they respond in a timely manner, essentially, so that you're getting good communication. Being very clear on all the terms and conditions. So what is included in your price, be very clear on what's included in the pricing, whether it's, you know, does that include the packaging or the swing label or that price that you're giving me? And there's a whole thing of terminology that, you know, you can research and find out, but basically inco terms, so it's what it's called. So if you're giving a price, is it an FOB price, which means free on board, or is it a CIF price, which means it includes freight and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. making sure the price that you're getting includes what you think it does. Yes. Yeah. So definitely making sure communication is good. And then references, if they've got references of what other people they've worked with or other, let's say if they're Australian brands or if if they work in the US, what are the US brands that they've worked with? So you can even ask them as well. 
Mm, doing your due diligence on your end. Yes. Very important. Are you looking for a way to get your time back as you grow your business? If you are nodding profusely, it's <laughs> like, yes, Tay, 100% I am, then you need to set a sales funnel up in your business. Truly, these are the one thing that's going to allow you to really get your business working for you. It is the thing that's going to help you to scale whilst also having more freedom in the way that you do things, serve more people, have more time, make more money. Like that's the beautiful combo. And that's what we're all aiming for. So I wanted to make it easy for you to get started. And I've created a sacred funnel blueprint for you that you can get for free right now. This blueprint is going to map everything out for you. It's going to show you the ins and outs, and it's going to make it easy for you to get started. So if you want to go ahead and download that blueprint for free, just head to sacredfunnels.com forward slash blueprint dash opt in and you can grab it right now. Amazing. Cool. So we've gone through some of the fundamental steps. I love that. We've got to the manufacturing point. Let's move to the selling point. So once you've sort of got it there, or maybe I'm missing something, it's not my <laughs> not my area, but is there something that's missing there or do we start going and, and start selling? Like, what does that then look like? Well, I think definitely the foundational things are making sure your supply chain, which is what we've talked about, is there. Making sure that your pricing is set up in a way that you can actually make money from selling of the product. And then, yeah, lots of things that you would step into then is what is your branding, what is who your message is and the whole point of the USP, like the unique selling point, making sure you've got that clear so you know who you are, making sure that you can tell your story about why you've done what you've done and why you've created this product and who it's for, what problem it's solving as well. And then, yeah, it can be just from there deciding on what your sales channels are. So, yeah, selling and whether, you know, some people just start off and they just want to sell on their own website, direct to consumer, or they want to sell wholesale. So, and there's lots of other sales channels, which in my program that I've got, I think I had 10 that I went through. So, basically all the different sales channels that you can run with. But, yeah, really making sure that you've got your product photography right because that's going to help with your selling. Really making sure that you've got, you know, the setup of who you are. So, in terms of if you are going to sell online, making sure your website's really user-friendly. It is telling people exactly what you do. It is very clear and obvious about the whole three-second rule. When I land on your website, I should be able to tell what you're selling within three seconds above the fold, as the terminology is. And then if you are going to sell wholesale, making sure that you've got the right marketing material to actually do that. So a sales catalog or an idea of an order form and stuff like that too. Yeah, cool. And you mentioned your why and why it's important, why you brought this to life. How important is it to attach a face, like, you know, maybe yourself or, you know, you and your brand partners? Like, how important is it to attach that to the message behind the product and behind the brand? Well, I think it is always important. I know that a lot of people are reluctant to do that. So I definitely would say if you can do that, I think it adds that trust factor to websites and to social media and stuff like that too, that you know who you're dealing with and, and the person behind the brand. People always connect more with human-to-human marketing. I mean, it's just the reason video is strong now is people want to have an idea of who you are and your story and why you've created what you've done. Mm. And they're more inclined to buy into you as a brand or a product if they know the behind the scenes from it as well. Ideally, but, you know, it's not essential. I don't think, obviously, let's look at a big example. Spanx is, oh, I mm. her surname. Sarah. Completely forgotten. Okay. Surname, but Sarah. I want to say Foundry, but is that wrong? <laughs> I actually cannot remember. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Banks, of that's right. Like everyone knows that that's her story. 
And we all know the story of how she started too, if you know the brand, mm. because she has told that so many times. So yeah. that is really important. But saying that, you don't know the name of every person Never. behind every brand. So it's definitely not essential. But I think telling your story is how you stand out as well. Mm. Yes, and that connection to the buyer because ultimately, yeah. especially if you, I guess, if you are coming from that place of, well, I created this because I bloody wanted it and I couldn't find it, yeah. like Sarah, you know, it's, that's going to have a huge connection with the people who are like, oh, God, me too. Like, that's where I'm at. Thank you so much for actually creating it. So, yeah, yeah, really, really good point. You mentioned as well, you know, wholesale in retail, like what's the difference there for somebody who doesn't understand those terminologies? Yeah, okay. So retail generally is when you are selling at the recommended retail price. So retail is in any time you're selling at the full price that anyone is paying for it. So let's say a few different options are, and and this is called often D to C, so direct to consumer. So when I say retail, I mean pretty much direct to consumer. So you're selling on your own website, you might be selling at markets, you might have a pop-up store. These are all getting you full retail price. So you're selling retail. And then wholesale is anytime you're selling, you're selling to the retailer to then resell it. So you're essentially most of the time, depends on the different products that have different margins, but most of the time you're selling for half the price of what you're going to retail, they're going to retail it at because that retailer needs to have margin to then run their business as well. And people get stuck on this that, oh, why would I sell wholesale when it gives me half the money or less money? The whole point is, I mean, this. I could go on about this for a long time, but the whole point is that you're getting your product out to more people and you're getting bigger volumes as well with wholesale. So you shouldn't be looking at it as the single price that you get for your product, but what the lifetime value of this buyer gives you as well. Because someone who buys wholesale might spend 50 grand with you over their lifetime, whereas someone buying retail might spend $100 with you over a lifetime. So it's a completely different market that you're looking at. So it's not just about the individual dollar price of the product. Cool. And can you do both? So what I mean by that is like straight away, I think, you know, Apple, iPhone. So if JB Hi-Fi is selling it $500 more than Apple is selling it, I'm always going to buy it direct from Apple. So how do you, as the brand, if you're selling direct to consumer, but you've also got wholesale, do you then sell direct to consumer at the price that the wholesalers are selling it? Yes. So that is an important factor actually as well, because if you want to wholesale, then you need to consider the way you set up your pricing from the very start. So you've got to make sure that you set up your pricing right from the start. So you need to be considering your wholesale customers. So you want to be making sure that you have the same price. You want to be making sure that you don't go on sale every week because they're not getting that sale price as well. So it's really making sure that you consider your pricing from the very start and if you aren't going to wholesale, then you've got to allow that margin so that your retail is enough that you can wholesale as well. Mm, lots to think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would highly recommend that anyone who has any has a product at all has multiple sales channels. Yes. So it is really hard to have one sales channel and you just spend a lot to acquire customers that way. Like if you only direct to consumer, and we've seen it recently with lots of brands who were just direct to consumer going into the distribution model, wholesale model as well, because they've realized that 
they can't reach everyone. So it's really hard to reach everyone from your own website or your own retail stores. Mm. So having wholesale as an option means you can get to more locations, more people in lots of ways. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. Oh, so good. Sort of leads me to the next question in terms of social media. So you mentioned obviously video and things like that. And we've talked about lots of different sales channels and different ways that you can show up and reach your audience. How important do you think that social media is? Do you feel like it's a critical thing? Do you think it's like the number one way to be reaching your consumers? What's your your opinion? I think it is one little slice of the pie of your marketing. So it is a good way to reach consumers and it probably just depends on who your customer is and where their attention is. So if your target customer, your ideal customer is spending all their time on social media, then yes, you should be on social media a lot more than what you might be on other channels. So it really comes back to where your customer is and who where their attention is. If they are spending a lot of time on social media, then you should be too, but it definitely shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing in your marketing at all. It is just one way to reach customers. And it's also one of those channels that you don't own. So it should be one of the things that you do, but you should be doing a lot more than just, just that shouldn't be your only attraction method, essentially. Totally. And what are some of the other options that people could so, use? So again, I've just finished filming my program in here. So it's perfectly top of mind. It's just it's hilarious. There's just making sure that you have lots of different things going on in your marketing. And what I mean by that is, yes, social media is one thing that you're doing. You might be running different promotions. You might be doing collaborations with different people. You might be doing paid ads with on Facebook or Instagram and stuff like that as well. You might be looking at wholesale as a good sales channel because that can really help with that attraction method too because someone might see something in a store and then they become a customer for your online store as well. So it definitely is a good way to attract new people as well, wholesale. Yeah, so there's definitely lots of things you should be doing that aren't just Instagram and it's much harder to grow on Instagram these days than what it used to be as well. So you want to spend time there or, you know, maybe it's TikTok that where your customers are. It just completely depends on who your customer is. But wherever your customer is, spend some time there, but then also make sure you're doing different things in your business to attract different people at different times. Mm. You might even like, you know, I've got clients who enter awards to get, you know, recognition that way that they're a new product design. So they get recognition that way. They might get editorial in magazines or PR and do stuff on Channel 7 and stuff like that. I've had quite a few people who've done the little snippet on Channel 7 and then they've got this huge influx of new customers from doing that. Amazing. That's so cool. Things to do. Definitely. And I think that that applies to any business, like service, product, whatever it is that you offer, like not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket, say Instagram or TikTok and obviously put your efforts in there, but also look at different areas in which you Mm -hmm. can be expanding and reaching a wider audience as well. Yeah. And then making sure that when you do those things, you also capture those people in terms of email, email marketing and stuff like that. So making sure that you, like I had a client once, when I first started working with her, she had 100,000 followers on Instagram, so huge. Mm. But her mailing list was a 1,000 people. Wow. And I was like, this is good. (laughs) Capture the people. (laughs) We need to work on this. Most of the girls, your priority in the next, and she has, I don't know what it is now, actually. I've got to check in with her again. But she's definitely focused on building her email database because I've seen so many clients recently too where Instagram's just gone. They just lose it. It's just 
oh, yes. that just freaks me out and not ideal. And they just, you know, what we've got to start again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because really making sure that you capture as many or lead as many people from your social media, all the other platforms. If you're doing a market, making sure you're trying to capture people's emails as well yeah. so that you've got that database to then sell to because that's a big part of product business too that you want to have you don't want to have a customer once you want to have them as an ongoing customer if you've spent money to acquire them you want to keep them for as long as possible and have the lifetime value be as high as you possibly can and get them coming back again and again and again totally it's always going to be cheaper to expand the value of one customer versus trying to acquire a new one Absolutely. Always, always. Yeah. So in terms of capturing that data, getting them onto your email list, what are some of the things that people can do there to incentivize that? On your website, for example, you should be having pop-ups. And a lot of people say to me, I hate pop-ups, Mel. I don't want to have them. I'm like, just because you hate them doesn't mean everyone does. And they actually work. So <laughs> Totally. I'm always opting in for like 10% off. I'm never, I'm not necessarily bought yet, but they've got my information. So it works. Yes. So definitely making it easy to do that. So having pop-ups, having a number of places on your homepage for people to actually sign up and yeah, having an incentive, which it might be that they can win a voucher every month. It might be that they get a dollar value off. It might be that they get a percentage off the first order. It might be that they get a gift with purchase. So it can be a few different things. So that's one way on your website. And then also making sure that it's pre-selected on your checkout so that people are automatically on unless they say they don't want to be on. If you're at Lots of people do markets and stuff, so boutique markets, you know, finders, keepers and things like that, making sure that you have that incentive at the time for them to sign up. So can they win their money back or can they win a voucher at the end of the market if they've actually put their name down on the, um, you know, it might actually just be the physical piece of paper on their counter or it might be a digital thing that they can sign up quickly and easily with a QR code. Yeah. So making it easy for people to actually sign up mm. and then, encouraging you know maybe you're working with a collaboration to try and get different audiences as well that can really work maybe you're doing a giveaway or a competition that can work to get emails Mm. Uh, so yeah just really making it a focus that you want to even let people know that they get first dibs to things so subscribers get the first access to a new release or they get the sale information the day before so incentivize that people are actually there's a reason for that they should be on the list and that the reason they should stay on the list because you really great give great value in what you send out as well yes that's huge i think even that just that last little piece in terms of like What's going to get them to stay there as well? So like, how are you connecting with them beyond that? Not just like, oh, you're on my email list and you'll hear from me once a year when I want to sell you something. Exactly. <laughs> and that, yeah, don't, that's such a good point. So making sure that what you send to people as, and this is, you know, a whole marketing plan that you're working out what you are sending to people, but it's value. It's mm. not just selling and don't just send promotional selling emails because it's fastest way to an unsubscribe. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but also not worry about unsubscribes. So that's true too. I get lots of clients say to me, well, I, if I send it, I'll get too many unsubscribers. I'm like, yeah, but if you don't send it, you're not going to get any sales anyway. So what that's are you doing? Right. <laughs> yes. And honestly, I always think to myself, like if someone unsubscribes, they're like kind of doing you a favor. They're cleaning themselves out from your list. They're not necessarily, they're never going to buy anyway if they're unsubscribing. So right. 
the less of those people, the healthier your list. So the more likely you'll get in front of the right people, the higher the open rate, the better the click-through. Like it's, there's so much that is an on-flow from people actually unsubscribing themselves. You don't want people to hang on who are never going to open your emails because then that sends the wrong messages to the email service provider. So yeah. yeah, it's never, ever a bad thing. And I think honestly, exactly what you said, that relationship side of things, value-based, whatever that is, you know, whether it's fun extra things or incentives or whatever. But I also think the communication behind the brand one of the brands I always think about on a product-based level is GoTo by Zoe Foster Blake. Oh, yes. Love, love, love. Like you never feel like it's just the product. Like the way that the language is used and even the specific products, like it's all a skincare range if you don't know what GoTo is. But the bottle itself is like, I can help you with this, this and this, but I cannot help you with, you know, making sure it, that you don't make a fool of yourself. Whoever copywriter is, I don't know if it is Zoe or <laughs> maybe someone. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> copywriter is the best of you know one of I've seen and their micro copy on their website is phenomenal so insane or yeah at their website in terms of the little even where you put your email it says something quirky yeah. if you've forgotten your email it's like dingus forgot your email like it's yeah. just the copy in the website is amazing and it's so it, on brand it is because she you know as a writer herself and she's right for cosmos I love like reading all of that and the books that she's written it's that same intonation in how she speaks like it's flowed straight into the brand which is amazing and it just gives such a personality and it makes you connect with the brand which then you've got that like a visceral connection to it. It's not just like, oh, this is the face oil that I use. You have more of an attachment to it, which I love. And I think that, again, Frank Body is another one that does that really, really well. Like their whole marketing campaign was fantastic in terms of like those shower selfies and Frank as the scrub being like, come on, let's get in the shower. Like made it like very intimate and sexual. And that's how people connected and wanted to be a part of that marketing campaign that they went viral because everybody was like, heck yes, I want to like put my shower selfies on your Instagram yeah. page. It's amazing. Exactly. It's that engagement with the brand. And, you know, they started out, their evolution's been amazing. They started out just you know, very small, like brand paper packaging, but their stickers and their their words that they used were amazing. Yeah. But you know, they've now they've evolved into a completely different brand. But you've got to start somewhere and don't be afraid to just be yourself and be on have personality in the way that you connect with people. Yeah. And I think that comes back to what your brand values are as well. And really making sure that you're expressing that and you're staying true to who you are because that's authenticity is really important and you can connect much easier and you can speak much easier on social media and all that sort of thing if you are just being yourself anyway as well. 100%. Yeah. No, no need for the facade. Let your like inner weirdo shine. Yes. <laughs> and that is honestly going to like call in your other weirdos who are going to love what you do. Like, Yes. Yes. And you don't have to be for everyone. You don't need to be for everyone. So just, yeah, staying true to, to that as well. Yeah. When you serve everyone, you serve no one. So you're not doing anyone any favours for sure. Love that. We will wrap up soon. There's just a couple more questions. So one of them is just in terms of funding. So getting started, what does that look like? Do you think that you should necessarily look for outside funding? Should you try and bootstrap it? Like, what do you recommend? Uh, that's a good question. So it totally depends on what your product is and what direction you want to take, I guess, because I think lots of people starting off as a side hustle, they might be, you know, working nine to five and then they're just sort of trying to build up a bit of savings and a bit of money to start their business. You can definitely, family and friends often might be a source of 
initial funding or initial startup phase, you don't have to have a lot of money to start off a product business, I don't think. Obviously, it depends on what you're doing. Like I have another client who invested 20000 to get their mould set up in the first place. So mm. they knew that this was a good idea. They were like, I have to back myself. So it definitely does require risks. But I think you can start small. You don't have to do huge numbers to start off with. It might be that you, I don't want to advocate like people take big personal loans or anything like that to mm. get started. But I think you can definitely do it yourself without having to get investment. Mm. But if you've got a product that you think is unique and different and is going to just change the world almost, then I think you definitely could get investors and look for people to help you get started on it. And it might be that you have to give percentage of value, you know, the whole shark tank type of thing. Like mm. maybe you need someone to invest in that way in terms of another business. And I think there's a, I've had a client who went on shark tank actually. Well, cool. I don't know if she's been on yet or she's been through all the interview phase, but that's an option, you know, like looking for investors if you've got a product that is unique and different. So the mm. key there would be, I don't think you're going to get an investor if you're creating another, let's say, fashion brand because yeah. there's a bit more out there. Whereas if you've got a unique product that's not anywhere else, then you've got a bit more yeah. opportunity to people to get on board early and help you get started. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so interesting. As well, you know, you start with that initial product and I, we sort of alluded to this before with, you know, Frank Body and their evolution and now yeah. from one coffee scrub to multiple to nighttime scrubs to lip scrub, like so many things. Yeah. For someone who's sort of, you know, maybe they're a bit further along, when is the right time, do you think, in terms of moving from that first product to bringing on additional products? Oh, that is a good question too. So I think it's open really. It really, there's no good time, no perfect time. But what I would say is understanding your data and understanding your numbers. So looking at if you've got one product, you don't want to have all your eggs in that one basket either. So you might have one product, but you've got multiple colors or you've got different sizes in your products. You might just start with that same product and extend out the range of that product before you add a new product. But also making sure that if you want to add more to your range, it ties into who you are and what your brand is all about. So don't try and be everything for everyone. Mm. And also just be careful that whatever you're going to bring out is in line with what else you've already got out. And I say this because one of the clients that I've just I was in New York with a trade show at and she'll be fine for me to talk about this, that, you know, she's talking about a few other products that she wanted to bring out. And I'm like, who are you? And she's like, we're about solving problems. We're about keeping things together. You know, that's what our product is all about. What our product range is all about. I'm like, well, does that tie into that, you know, this other random products you wanted to bring out? And how many others of those products are on the market already? She's like, yeah, you're right. Mm. It's just a completely, I just want to do it because I think it could be good, but it's not mm. really who I am and it's not in line with the rest of the products that I have. Totally. And these products that she has does really well. Why not continue on that same path? Like don't try and be everything. Yes, that's such a good point. Yeah, yeah, love that. So, so good. Do you think that there's any specific things that other than that, that was a really good point. Do you think there are any other like red flags or common misconceptions or things that sort of like stop success? Anything that you've sort of seen in your time that you're like, avoid this at all costs? <laughs> I think I think definitely that, you know, you touched on a bit there with the cash flow. So cash flow is an issue and planning. So I think you've got to plan ahead. You've got to know that you've got the right amount of product at the right time to be able to get the sales that you want to achieve. And that's also going to help with your cash flow because you need to sort of know 
when you're going to be spending because you often you know when people do manufacturing this can be a huge factor because you might have to invest you know a hundred thousand in your product in one factory or one time to then get those products out to all the people that you've had orders for so you've really got to manage your cash flow and manage the peaks and troughs of sales as well so having that mapped out in terms of what product you've got when and when you're going to spend money on the product is one of the hardest parts probably of having a product business, the cash flow side of it, how to have enough money to invest back into more product again. So planning that out a little bit and also understanding where to spend the money as well. You're such a wealth of knowledge. And I have found this so interesting. Like I said to you before we started recording, like, you know, I've had ideas in the past and stuff, but it's nothing I've ever ventured into. So it's a whole new world for me, the product side of things. And I love being such a little noob. <laughs> And being able to ask all these questions. Yeah, it is exciting. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people that I work with are people who, yeah, they've got this idea and they're like, I just don't know how to get it to market though. Or I've got all this corporate experience. I've had a few people who have been in mining or all different, different jobs, but they're like, but how do I do a product business? Yeah. So that's where I just love like helping guide. That's so cool. Yeah. The opportunities are amazing and it can be such a buzz and exciting area to go into. It definitely can be hard, but you know, if you've got a product that could be global, there's no reason it can't be all around the world. And, you know, I just saw the other day Thrills, the fashion brand has just sold for $50 million and they started just t-shirt brand. Well, they started importing bikes, bikes motorbikes actually. But really? T-shirts because people wanted the t-shirts that were yeah. the vintage look of the motorbike. I've had several of those in my time. <laughs> so I just, you know, they were just a t-shirt company that as in they weren't anything unique, but the way that they did it was obviously mm. they had a unique point of view and feel. And the way that they went about their process, it obviously wasn't an overnight thing, but then they've just sold for a huge amount of money because they've got a customer base, they've got a value of who they are, and they probably had a good database of customers as well. They certainly <laughs> would, definitely. Um, Again, that comes back, build your list. Like, yes, your IP is so valuable. <laughs> so there's some amazing businesses out there, product-based businesses. You can start small and it progress either. Some people grow really quickly and some people take 10, 15 years, but it's definitely a great area to work in. And I think if you've got a creative side, but also really have that business side too, that you just sort of like, you know, I just want to get this product out there and I want to share this with the world and I want to solve this problem. Lots of people are solving problems. So that's exciting. Yes. Oh my gosh. This has been invaluable. I love it. I know that you've got some epic free resources as well. So do you want to let people know where they can go to grab those? Yes, absolutely. So on my website is thelotco.com.au and it's forward slash freebies. You can get all of them in there. But I have specifically ones that are yeah, checklists for how to get more people to your website. I have a pricing guide on how to set your pricing for a product-based business. And then I have other ones which are, you know, eight steps to building a profitable product-based business. And then my other one, which is popular, is the wholesale guide, like how to wholesale. So all of those are sort of touching on the different areas that people might get stuck on at the start. Yeah. So yeah, they're definitely head to that. Obviously, you can send you the link so you can share that. And yeah, you can find all of those on there. Go and get them because obviously there's like so much value just in this hour that we've spoken. And I know the value that's in those guides. So yes. <laughs> do yourself a take some of those up. <laughs> do yourself a favor and go and download those guides. If you want to get into the product world or you're already in it and you want to scale, Mel is 
the perfect person for this. So can't thank you enough for coming on. Obviously, your website, social media, just drop those links so people can connect with you as well. Yeah, so the Lotco is my Instagram and Facebook and then, yeah, the lotco.com.au is my website yeah. and, yeah, everything is available on there. So okay. got a podcast as well, which I share lots of different things in there to help people as well. Yes, and is that on your website? Yes, that is on my website. So it's the Lotco Business Podcast. Fantastic. Everyone go and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, thank you. This has been so great. I loved it. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Cheers. <laughs>